How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in. And before we get started with the episode today, I want to point out a couple of quick things. Number one, if you want to support the podcast and you enjoy listening to it, do me a favor, make sure that you subscribe to the show on whatever listening platform it is that you listen on. And if you have time, leave a comment. And I also want to point out that uh, we've got a big fight tomorrow night with Anthony Rumble Johnson, Bellator, light heavyweight grand prix tournament. And uh, if you haven't done so yet, go to drinkaction.com, sponsor this podcast, use code Rumble. You'll get 15% off plus more other incentives to uh, check out his specialty roast coffee, Rumble Time. There's also a new t-shirt that's launching today. So go to the website, use the code, get it while it's hot, and uh, make sure you check out the fight. My episode today is uh, is a little bit different. We kept actually with the fighting theme though. So um, my guest is a, an amateur fighter. He's a member of the Stout Academy here in Pittsburgh. And the first time that I talked with him was actually on the show. Um, I've come across his name locally here in Pittsburgh. Uh, his nickname, The Chinese Disappointment, really caught my interest. And I wanted to talk with him about where that name originated from. Uh, and then about his you know, career, because he's very highly touted as an amateur fighter. And I wanted to get into what that life is like. It kind of took a turn partially through it. Um, he shared with me some really interesting stories. One in particular, um, as a child, he thought that he was going to die when he was 14. His long story, we'll talk about on the show, but his mom had moved away and fallen in with a guy who had a radio show predicting the end of the world. And it's fucking crazy, but really, really insightful. And I appreciate that he shared it with me and has the ability to laugh at what really is kind of a fucked up situation. But um, either way, I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, hopefully have Alan on a ton in the future. Uh, you're going to want to check out his fight coming up on May 15th. Give it up for my guest, Alan Liu. Um, I think, you know, I actually didn't know who you were. And then I saw you at the most recent belt promotions at Stout. Oh, you, oh, you're in Pittsburgh. I am. Yeah. I'm up in the North. Oh, Coast. okay. Okay. Wait, yeah. did, it, did it start yet? We're, we're rolling, bro. Oh, we're rolling. Okay. We're all rolling. right. So look at that. I just sprung it. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't, okay. I didn't know you were in Pittsburgh for some reason. I thought you were out West. I don't know why. You know what? So I, I've spent a lot of time out West and I have two younger brothers that live in LA. So a lot of social media stuff was kind of focused around LA up uh, until like right before the pandemic hit actually. Okay. And so I get that a lot, but yeah, no, I've been, I'm here up in the North Hills. So what you train at Stout then? I do up in Zealy. Yeah. Oh, up in Zealy. Okay. But you were at the Bell Promotions downtown? I was. Yeah. Okay. So I'm yeah. assuming you, you heard Mike go, uh, he's such a disappointment <laughs> yes yeah and it's kind of, it like i was like who is this kid you know? <laughs> that's funny okay um yeah i didn't uh i didn't i wonder i because i've gone to zilly a few times i don't know um do you ever do you ever go to their open mats or i mean if i am there i'm usually there on a tuesday night or a thursday night i haven't been back in a little bit though yeah so um I usually go Mondays, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. So that's probably why we haven't run into each other. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I trained probably three or four years ago, right when the Zealy location opened up, up in Cranberry, actually, when it was at, like in the little strip mall. And right, right. Did some damage to my neck. Work kind of got in the way and, you know, took two or three years off and uh, reconnected with Warren. I actually had Warren on the podcast. I saw and, that. And uh, he kind of put the bug in my ear and was like, man, get back onto the mat. So he, he invited me down and I did some privates with him. Mm -hmm. And just, I was like, I, I got to get back on the mat. So I yeah. got more involved in like the last five months, probably. Okay. Um, been trying to roll two, three times a week. So, okay. What happened to your neck? Some sort of disc problem that um, quite honestly, I thought possibly was from seeing a chiropractor. Okay. crazy story. I, I had like a lower back issue that I went and saw a chiropractor for, and they put me through this whole 
like evaluation. They had me stand on a pressurized mat and like raise my hands up and, you know, checked my quote unquote alignment. And okay. they put me into a protocol and they started adjusting my neck. And like a week after they adjusted my neck, I pulled a, what I thought was a muscle painting. Oh, it, it may have been coincidence, but I had never really had a neck problem up until that point. Uh-huh. And then I eventually got an MRI and I have a disc between uh, C3 and C4 that's herniated. So just okay. more pain management than anything. I just got to man up. <laughs> I mean, it is your neck though. So yeah. you don't man up too much. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I enjoy it. I, yeah. I definitely enjoy it. I don't think I quite have the bug like you do, but uh... <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I have like a lot of, um, neck issues. I get, do you ever get stingers? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I've been getting them for a couple of years now, but I keep like pushing through it like an idiot. But I mean, after this next fight, I'm going to get my neck checked out and see what's going on in there. Yeah. No, man, you got to keep your body healthy. Yeah. Such a key part of it. Yeah. And you're notorious for the grind from what I've been reading. And so I, you know, I, I'd be remiss to not, you know, I I certainly want to dive in. I know you've got an upcoming fight. I want to make sure we talk about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I have an opportunity to have a wider range of people on this podcast, a lot of fighters. I've had, you know, my partner, Rumble Johnson's been on a couple of times. You know, I've had Warren on, I've had some of the guys from 10th Planet on. And uh, it's always interesting having dialogue with folks who compete professionally and understand their process. But I found it really interesting to dive in as well as kind of like this life as an amateur fighter where, you know, you're not being paid. You're, you know, trying to find a way, I'm sure, to support yourself financially with another job. So the time management piece of that is really interesting and you're doing it at a high level. So Uh I want to hit on all that. But obviously, the first thing is the nickname, which I know is is funny in a way, right? The Chinese disappointment. Uh And you see You seem like a dude who's very self-deprecating, which I love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I am. I feel like there's a deeper, there's a deeper meaning to that. And I think maybe starting at the beginning of your journey will maybe set it up perfectly for your upcoming fight and where you're at today and where you're, you know, hopefully going in the future. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I take it that mixed martial arts wasn't always in your life from the things that I've read. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I right on the right track there? Um, so yeah, the, (laughs) the name actually, um, it kind of plays into, you know, like how I, um, was balancing like work and, um, training, but, uh, so first off, no, it wasn't always in my life. I'd always wanted to um get into uh mixed martial arts i think i heard about it for the first time when i was 12 i'd i'd like heard of the ufc this kid um this kid in my middle school i lived in texas at this point um but this kid in my middle school was just like he said he was 14 and 0 and like all knockouts and i like bought into it so then i like i looked up the UFC and it's just like it spiraled from there so I, I that's when I like developed an interest in it but even when I was I'd say seven uh I was like interested in learning how to box and um my dad was like no you're gonna learn kung fu and then we he took me to a kung fu studio learned it for a little bit and then these kids in my neighborhood um, one day decided to pick on me and my friend because we were smaller and younger. They stole our skateboard and scooter and just dipped. And then we ran after them. And then uh, I found them with my skateboard and my friend's scooter. And I was like, listen, y'all better not mess with me because I've been learning Kung Fu. And they were like, oh, like, let's see that Kung Fu. Then they and they beat my ass. They just beat the shit out of me. And I went home and I told my dad, I was like, I don't want to do this Kung Fu stuff anymore. I, I got beat up. Like, I want to learn how to box. I want to learn how to wrestle. 
Um, and my dad was like, absolutely not. Like, you just are not, you're just not good at Kung Fu. That's why you lost. Um, and I, regardless, I still stopped. I didn't want to go back to Kung Fu, but um, no, my dad still didn't let me uh, box or wrestle. Then like years later, when I'd heard of MMA, I asked my dad, hey, can I try MMA? Um, he said, no. All right, fine. And then eventually we moved to New York. Um, and then I got in a little bit of a scrap like behind um, the movie theater in our town. And then I came back kind of like covered in blood. And he was like, okay, like maybe you can like, I'll take you to a couple classes. And then I, we found an MMA gym um, in our town in New York. And then after a couple of months, the coach was like, Hey, like you, you're, you're quick. You've kind of got, you're not bad. Like if you want to compete in some kickboxing matches, like you should, I was like, you can talk to my dad about that. He talked to my dad about it. My dad pulled me out immediately. Um, so from then on, I just was a kind of a YouTube warrior guy. And when I got to college, um, I found this, I found that, uh, I, I went to Pitt actually, and I found the MMA club there. They had like, it was more of a social thing, but I, I found that was kind of like my way of, that was my, my way of being able to train for free. And then it kind of just spiraled from there. So would you guys just get together and utilize university facilities to like practice and do your stuff? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, it was kind of evident that I was one of the few ones that actually took it really seriously. Um, when I went to Pitt, and I know this is kind of where the Chinese disappointment thing comes in. Like I, when I went to Pitt, I went to Pitt with the idea that I was going to be a doctor. I was going to, I was bio pre-med. Um, and when I, the more and more I, the more and more I started to train at the mat room at Pitt, the more and more I fell in love with it. And I was like, man, I just really hate school. I don't want to, like, I'd rather just fight. But um, so I definitely, I took it way more seriously than a lot of other people did in the club. So I kind of started seeking out my own training partners. Like I just, I would just run into people at Pitt who uh, like had some amateur fights. Um, I was like, hey, can you, can you spar with me? Can you teach me some kickboxing? Um, on the side, I would still go on YouTube, learn my own stuff. Um, and I eventually started making friends with pit wrestlers. And that's how I started learning how to wrestle. I didn't, I didn't wrestle growing up. I don't have a wrestling background. I got the ears of a wrestler, but I don't have a wrestling background. And um, yeah, that's, so that's kind of how I started to mesh everything together. And then when I graduated from Pitt, um, I, uh, I went to stout for a sparring, uh, I think, it, do you know a Mark Sestock? He's, he's at the downtown, um, location. I feel like I, I know the name, but I don't know him personally. Okay. He, uh, he, so he went to pit and he would go to the pit mat room every now and then, but now he's one of the instructors at stout. Okay. Um, he messaged me one night, uh, I was actually at Cavo when he messaged. I don't know if you've heard of Cavo. Um, I was at Cavo just <laughs> having a blast. Um, and he messaged me. He was like, hey, I remember you from the pit mat room. I remember you like were one of the few guys that like took it seriously. Stout has like sparring on Saturdays if you want to come down and get some work in. I was like, absolutely. And then I went down and like my first time sparring at stout who was there it was it was a stacked day it was comma like comma worthy was there um mark cherico all these savages were there and i was just like this is great the first person i sparred at stout was comma <laughs> it was it was not really it was not really that fun but afterwards i was like wow this is great i need to actually start training at a legit fight team if i want to actually do this so so did you stick with the biology 
major? No, no. So that's, this is, that was kind of confusing with my parents. My parents, they, they were willing to pay for my education, which was, I am extremely grateful for. Um, but it was kind of like more on their terms. Um, they, I told them I, I didn't want to do bio pre-med anymore. Um, my plan was to major in psych and then go to grad school, maybe get a PhD in psych, but while continuing to train and fight. But I told them I also wanted to train and fight. And they were like, well, if you're going to train and fight, then we're not even going to pay for your education. So... I kind of like had to hide that from them so I could keep going to school. Um, and so I could eventually get my degree. Um, but no, I did not stick with biology and I definitely did not stick with the pre-med route. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine trying to balance all of that together. Yeah. Yeah. And they were, they were not very happy with that. Um, when I actually, so when I graduated from Pitt, what ended up happening was, so they came to my graduation and they kind of, well, by my senior year at Pitt, because I, I'd been training with college wrestlers, um, I got cauliflower ear and my mom being a doctor and my dad being the, uh, being a pharmacist he was also a researcher before they both were in the medical field um they knew what cauliflower ear was so they saw my ear when i took off my my graduation cap and they were like oh so you you've been you've been training and i was like damn i should have like i should have realized that they probably would have noticed my ear um and i was like well yeah and they're like, all right, well, I mean, what, so what are you doing then? Are you, are you going to be this fighter or are you going to like, are you going to go to med school? What's going on? Like you haven't been, there's been no mention of any studying for MCATs, none of that. Um, what's going on? And I was like, well, um, what, like, what do you want me to do? Like I no, I have not been taking any classes that I that would fulfill the pre-med um, prerequisites. So like, what do you want me to do? They were like, well, we're willing to pay for another for as much schooling as you want, as long as you end up going to medical school. And I was like, how about I just do one more year and just get an econ minor or something like that, and then just get a job. And then, meanwhile, I was gonna I was a a, a personal trainer at Pitt. Like I was hired on and I told them that I could pay for rent, whatever. And they would just have to uh, help me with school. And they were like, no, it's either we pay for school so you can go the pre-med route or we're just, you're just on your own. Like you got to figure it out for yourself. And I was like, well, I'm not doing pre-med. And they were like, all right, well then yeah, figure it out. We'll keep in touch type of thing. So, yeah, man. So uh, I got to ask, I mean, is, is that a cultural thing? I mean, as far as the, the extreme success and focus on education, I mean, it seems like your parents are both extremely driven and yeah. I know, I, I know that, you know, the Asian friends that I have and people that I've associated, it's, it's always, a, I feel like I've heard the, a very similar story before. Yeah, my parents, uh, it is definitely a cult cultural thing. Um, my parents are a little like, they're a little crazy too. Um, <laughs> they're like, oh, like I've heard this from some of my Asian friends who were like, I've told them my situation, my parents, and they were like, that's a little excessive, like even for Asian parents. Um, but so my, they both came from really, really, shitty circumstances um i've seen where my dad um came up from and where he was born and raised in the mountains with nothing like he he was 
when I went to visit, it was really, really rough. And I do respect him and my mom. I haven't seen where my mom came from, but I've spoken to her sister about what they came from because my mom never really wanted to talk about uh, what her situation was. But like, like from an early age, like my mom watched her father get arrested and sent away to a labor camp and the and she just like never basically never saw him again and then he passed away um in his 60s and she just never really got to uh have a relationship with him and then like she they both came to america um because they just did really really well in school given their really shitty circumstances so i really do respect that um and i think they just they expected the same out of me, which I understand, mm -hmm. but I think it's just like the area they grew up in, the culture they grew up in, it just like kind of like chasing your dream. It's just not, it's not really practical to them. It doesn't make any sense to them. Yeah, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of fear too, right? I mean, when yes. the reality of, it's like you either work hard for a way out or you know the the reality of not doing that is is severe and so yeah. i can imagine as a parent myself like understanding where that comes from but you know to your point it's like there's probably an aspect where it's like you work so hard to give us this opportunity and now i have the ability to do the things that you didn't have the ability to and it's kind of like you know that catch 22 but right yeah um so my uh, so my, yeah, my parents just never, there's a thing with them about violence too. Like it's MMA specifically. Um, it's, they're very, they're extremely religious. I don't, uh, this is now, this is kind of where I was talking about earlier, where it kind of um gets dark but i want to make your podcast as interesting as possible so we're gonna yeah. dive in let's do um it. so uh and i've i've like you, you know i'm a you know mike um I, I like we've we we make jokes about it at this point so it's not even like it's not even really a big deal but um when when i was when i was actually yeah when i was seven pushing eight my mom moved to New York. So, so me and my dad stayed in Texas for a little bit. Um, and my mom moved to New York to um, pursue her career as a doctor. So she kind of got started late. She was first in research and then she decided I'm gonna, like this is not making enough money. So, I want to be a doctor and she had gone to med school anyway. So she started applying for residency jobs and the first residency position that offered her uh, a spot was in New York. So she just took that and ran with it. So me and my dad stayed behind in New York, uh, in Texas while my mom moved to New York. When she moved to New York, she found this uh, kind, they don't, it, it's tech, it's technically not a cult, but she found this like religious freak on the, on the radio. He was based out of Oakland, California, but for some fucked up reason, his waves, Broadcasting the radio, yeah, brought, yeah, exactly. It brought, it found its way to my mom. And, um, so my mom bought into all of that and you can look him up. His name is, um, his name is Harold camping and <laughs> he's got his own wikipedia he's got his wikipedia page and all that he's dead now but um she found this wacko and he was like preaching about like the end of the world the world was, was supposed to end may 21st 2011 well that's like when when jesus was supposed to come back and take everyone up to heaven and then october 21st 2011 was when the world was supposed to be engulfed in this like big fiery ball of flame and uh she started preaching it to me and my dad and she was like oh my god like you guys gotta like you guys gotta listen to this like this man is speaking facts and i was just like this little kid like like my parents didn't really let me 
go to kids' houses, like hang out too much. Um, if anything, I was just allowed to like run around my apartment complex, like neighborhood. It was gated. Um, and that's basically it. So I didn't really have people like talking in my ear. And when like my mom was talking about all this, she made it a point to me and my dad, like you guys cannot talk about this at all with anybody. So I was like, like it's a secret, you guys are in on the secret. Right. Yeah, exactly. This and, would have uh, been, you said like 2011. When it was, when everything was supposed to go down. Yeah, it was supposed to go okay, down. But, but this was occurring, I guess, even before that. So we're talking like pre-internet, pre-smartphone. So I mean, pre-smartphone, the internet was still a thing. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah. I mean, it's like, I forget that sometimes, man. It's like, you used to be able to lie to people like that. You could yeah. totally bullshit people because it's like, you couldn't just pick up your phone and go, search that what they're telling you wasn't real yeah exactly but um so i and like i i wasn't allowed on the computer either so there's no way i was gonna like be looking this stuff up um but so that they're like in their minds like violence was like a huge sin it's like a huge deal for them um like stepping into a cage and beating someone up that's like at like absolutely not allowed and i had friends tell me like like when they were like trust me like when you like when you make it they're gonna they're gonna look at you and they're gonna be proud and i was like nope <laughs> i don't think so i think it will be worse if i make it <laughs> um so that's their whole take on fighting it's not just the fact that it's like impractical and uh risky it's like a it's almost like a religious thing mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that's their whole take on MMA. Does, does that, how much does that fuel you? Like where, I, I guess maybe that you don't have their support and that you, this means so much to you that you, you, you could have taken the easy road, right? Not that mm -hmm. like going to school to be a doctor is easy by any stretch of the, no, way. no, it's not easy at all. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to make that to be the, what I'm saying, but uh -huh. you could have just said, okay, mom and dad are going to take care of this. You're going to pay for me to go to school, to be a doctor. I'm going to put the time in, I'm going to come out, going to live a great life, make a lot of money being a doctor, you know, it, it could be great. But I mean, dude, I'm, I'm laid up right now. I have an, an appointment in the morning because I think I tore some things in my knee and I'm just a 35, 34 year old man. That's just trying to keep myself in shape, rolling a few nights a week. And yeah, I know the level of commitment that it takes to be competitive yeah. and the wear and tear on your body. And just that alone, given the circumstances of being a professional with all kinds of resources and support and a team behind you and sponsors, that's still hard, let alone as an amateur without any of that. And then to know that it's like, okay, if I want to do what I really, really want to do, it's going to come at the expense of my family, my, you know, this, this pathway that's kind of laid out for me. Right. It, it's weird. Um, some days I wake up and it like, yeah, it, it really, really fuels me. It's like, I feel, I feel a firelight under my ass some days when I wake up, I'm like, I have to do this. And then some days it really, really wears on me where I'm just like, I don't want to wake up. Um, and so it's like, it, it's, it depends on the day. If I'm going to be completely real, it really does depend on the day. Um, but the main, what I would say is like the main driving factor behind this is like, clearly the world didn't end. Um, but from an early age, I was under the impression that I wasn't going to make it past 14. Um, because of this whole thing, I was, ex I was on the same boat as my parents, I was extremely religious too. So you like you kind of bought into it. Oh, I bought into it completely. It skipped like, the whole Yeah, skip. I skipped the whole Santa thing and went right to <laughs> went right to um, my man Harold. Um, and so yeah, I really did. I, I bought into it heavy. And like when it when it didn't happen from then until i was 19 
my mind completely just blocked it out. I blocked that whole chunk of my life out. I forgot all about it. I didn't remember it even happened. I didn't remember. Um, I remember who this guy was. I didn't remember any of that. I think I just chose my mind subconsciously chose to block it out, but I still maintained um, religion, praying, believing in God, but we didn't go to church because another thing with my parents is that to them, church was like evil and you shouldn't be going to church. You should just be studying Bible at home. So we would just study Bible together at home on Sundays as a family. And um, I didn't understand why I was doing that. I just like knew there was a God until like when I started smoking weed one night, uh, like I started, I started smoking weed regularly when I was a sophomore in college. And when I got a little too high and everything came rushing back, I was like, Oh my God. I just remembered like for uh, like half my life, I thought I was going to die when I was 14. And so I kind of like had this like almost existential crisis where I was like, what is the point of living and doing all this, like doing all this work that I'm not happy with? Like I, I, I was not happy in school. I was not happy doing what I was doing I was so I kind of came to that conclusion like I'm just gonna do whatever the hell I want because like what what's the point of living if we're not gonna be fulfilled with what we do if that makes sense 100 percent. yeah what was your parents perspective when that day hit and the world didn't end and everything didn't come to fruition? I mean did did they, were they let down? Did they feel like Harold was full of shit or did they, <laughs> did they find a reason to justify that? No, they're cold as hell. Um, my mom was just like, so, so the night, <laughs> so the, <laughs> the night before, um, my mom gathered us into this room and she was like, all right, guys, like we gotta, we gotta pray and we gotta hope that we're saved and we're brought up to heaven. Um, and like just midnight hit she was like all right maybe it'll like maybe it'll happen in the morning like when the sunrise is and then just hours went by and it's just like i didn't go to sleep i didn't go to sleep at all and i was just like sitting there i was like maybe maybe it's not supposed to happen and then like i was so delirious from not sleeping i was like maybe i already died and i just don't know and then i it was a whole whirlwind of emotions but eventually my mom like we kept we kept keeping track of the news and everything and eventually my mom was like all right well i mean just, yeah what do you want for breakfast <laughs> like i'm like what do you like what are you doing today just completely pretended like it didn't happen yeah and then she and then um she she did express that she felt bad for this guy she was like i, I they were donating money to this guy like a lot of money to him and so they really really they were ride or die for this guy and uh when it didn't happen they kind of just like all right well you still have um you still have to do well in school you still have to be a doctor you still have to keep playing the violin you still have to do this and that um there still is a god don't think that there isn't a god um and yeah, they just like went on. They never spoke about it again. They never spoke about it again, ever. So I, I'm trying to like, when I was, so do you remember like the whole Y2K thing? I don't know if you remember that personally or if you were, I mean, you were probably focused do, on this, but. I do know of it. Um, Y2K, uh, well, in 2000, I was three four years old yeah you were just a little guy i forget right so yeah yeah i i mean i grew up in a religious household roman catholic like a very catholic household mm. like with the catholic guilt right mm. although my mom and dad were hypocrites because they they sinned all the time um i say that with all due respect but in, <laughs> i remember when y2k was going to happen and like i was young enough where I, I was like, well, fuck man, I was in eighth grade. And I remember being petrified going to bed thinking like the world's going to end only because the numbers aren't going to line up 
with the dates in a computer or some, whatever the story was for that. And mm-hmm. it was so illogical, but I heard it so much just over the course of a couple of months that it petrified me. And I remember seeing a tabloid when I was even younger, I was like at a Kmart and there was one of those tabloids on the shelf. And it was about an asteroid that was going to hit the earth and it was going to kill everybody. It was going to be an extinction event. And I'll never forget my dad's business partner at the time. He was this gun nut, like wha- he was like Ted Nugent on steroids. <laughs> His name was Cliff. <laughs> okay. Shout out Cliff if you're listening. The guy had a basement with like he had a basement filled with um, like freeze dried foods and cornmeal that was like vacuum sealed in containers, guns and ammo. I mean, he's still. I think you know he, he's probably actually right as you look at what's occurred over the last year i mean the guy was prepared for the for the end but i'll never forget he was talking about this article with my dad and i was in my dad's truck and uh i was i like cried for multiple nights in a row because i'm like the world is going to end because of this asteroid now i say all that because those were like i was exposed to something for a very short amount of time and i still as a child had this fear. Like I didn't understand it. I just knew I didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to think about this in a term of like being tied in religiously where you're already like just committed and having it be for, I'm assuming years that you're kind of living this way. Yeah. How that, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, like waking up that next morning being like, to your point, like, am I dead? Maybe I did die. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I can't remember if I was seven or eight, if I was like almost eight, but, um, it lasted all May 21st, 2011. I was in ninth grade. Um, I was 14 about to be 15. Um, and, uh, but when I heard about it, we, I, I was seven, I was, seven to eight um to be honest when i first heard of it i only took i just took it as fact it was like because in my mind i I was like okay it's it's only gonna be seven years from now like i still got some life to live and um i so i wasn't really upset about it it didn't hit me until i was almost nine um and i remember I would remember uh, visit, uh, we were visiting my mom in New York um, and I, I was like, kind of just like, sit, I was taking a shower. It was in a, it was in a really, really small studio apartment, no privacy. So I, I had nowhere, I didn't like, I couldn't cry in front of my parents. Like that's just, so I had nowhere to go. So I was just kind of sitting in my shower, extremely depressed about, this inevitable outcome. And I just, on the shower door, the, I just was writing through the steam, like God save me over and over and over, just hoping that like, if it does end, I will be taken up to heaven. Um, and I guess it didn't, it didn't really click with me how dysfunctional that was until I was like way older because I thought it was just normal. I didn't tell anybody. Um, the only people I had told at the time, um, well, not at the time, it was like the night before it was going to end. I told, uh, two of my friends. So I was living in New York. Um, and, but I had two really close friends in Texas and I was like messaging them. I was telling, telling them everything. And to me, I thought that I was like, that they were understanding me that they were like sympathizing with me and like understanding like, oh my God, this is real. Until they messaged me back, they were like, listen, I think like you need help. And I was like, what? Like, no, why why would I need help? Like, what do you mean? And, um, And even then when they said that, it didn't even click with me. I was like, you're crazy. Like, why would I need help? Uh, So yeah, like I didn't, it just, it never really, I was really boxed in, in my own little world. I didn't think any of that was dysfunctional. And 
I, I guess it definitely, it definitely played a huge role in, um, kind of molding me into the person I am now, which it doesn't sound like a good thing, but I think, I think it, it forced me to grow up kind of fast, almost, um, in a weird way, I am kind of grateful that I experienced what I experienced. I don't, I don't regret anything um, that has happened in my life, and I and that I've done in my life. Uh, so it was, yeah, it's it sucked, but I mean, I am super grateful that this is what I do. That I'm a circus freak, basically. <laughs> that I just get an occasion, just throw down. Like it's just everything has led to where I am now. So, man. like I wouldn't be here sitting here talking to you. I, so, hey man, I I believe that right. Every mm -hmm. flap of a butterfly's wings leaves a ripple in the universe, and it, right. it makes an impact. So, right. I'm glad you have that outlook, and I'm mm -hmm. glad that you can laugh about it because it is hysterical in its own, <laughs> yeah. in its own way. I, I'm fascinated by it, man. It's like because it happens a lot, right? I mean, it's, it's, this isn't like this, as funny as it is, it's not a story that you don't hear often. I mean, whether it's the Branch Davidians or, you know, it's, I'm thankful that the story's outcome was just that you guys were really disappointed and confused that you didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, because it's, it's been far worse. And so, you know, I, I am, I'm glad that you, you have that outlook and I'm, I had, I had a strong feeling that in some way, shape or form that it's molded you into who you are today. Mm -hmm. And I would have to imagine it's a part of the success that you've had. And albeit, I think the other part of it is the team, right? And, and I wanted to touch on that because I think we're so lucky being here in Pittsburgh and I, I'm not, a, I don't fight, right? It's like, mm -hmm. but just to have the level of instruction and this academy here in Pittsburgh, I, I think I'm not doing anybody any favors if I don't mention that because I think that's another pivotal part of, of your success and continued growth and development. Right. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm very, very grateful, uh, for being taken in here and then putting effort into me and, um, like will Mike Joan, you know, do you know Jonas? I'm sure you know, Jonas. yeah, Jonas, Jonas is a super, super close friend of mine. I consider him a very close friend of mine. Um, AJ, uh, you, he's been out cause of, uh, he had his appendix, appendix removed. Um, but he, me and him, like before my last fight, uh, I know Jonas had had Reyna. And so he was obviously busy handling two, two under two. Um, and so AJ, me and AJ just grinded and, uh, we would have like, and we would do just one endless round, like an hour long round, um, like once, twice a week. He didn't have to, he didn't have a fight coming up. It was me with the fight coming up, but he was in there grinding super hard with me. And um, every, yeah, everyone at Stout who's put in effort with me. There's so many people at Stout um, who've put in an extreme amount of effort uh, into me and, um, Everyone on it, honestly, everyone in the Pittsburgh MMA community as well, because when my, so my first time at Stout, I didn't really understand how it worked. I thought everyone there was just like Stout. Um, so I, I honestly, I do, uh, I do find, um, I am super grateful to the entire like Pittsburgh MMA community and everyone at Pitt that put an effort with me too, like the Pitt wrestlers as well. Um, like the first, like the first person I sparred at Stout was Kama. Um, and during quarantine, when everything was shut down, uh, Kama was like, dude, come in and work with us. Like when, whenever you want, cause Kama was in the UFC and he still had fights coming up. Um, Kama, John DeJesus, Shaka, Justin Patton, all these people put an effort with me. A lot of the guys at the math factory, Isaac, um, you know, big Demps, Chris Dempsey, um, he's an asshole. <laughs> he's, he's such an asshole. He just, he just rips on my neck all the time and just roasts, roasts my Asian eyes. And, but he's, 
super, super good to me. Um, puts in a lot of uh, effort into me. Um, yeah, just everyone in the Pittsburgh MMA community, I just, I, I'm, I am extremely grateful for. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> the exposure early on to the pit wrestling. Yes. I, I don't think people understand the how important a wrestling base is when it comes to mixed martial arts. Yeah. Um, so I guess for, I guess for a little bit, I did consider myself a striker. I wasn't even a fighter though yet. I hadn't taken any fights. Um, I was still kind of like a YouTube warrior, just roaming the, the, um, pit mat room. Um, but I would say now I like, as of right now, I am extremely comfortable wherever, uh, I would say I'm, I like to pressure i'm more i'm just like a pressure fighter i just like to walk forward um and impose my will so whether that be striking or um grappling i just i just like to impose whatever i feel like um imposing um but i never realized how important wrestling was until um there was some high school wrestler that just came into the pit mat room he was like like this he saw me hitting the bag. He was like, this stuff looks cool. And I was like, yeah, it is cool. He was like, I want to like, I want to try MMA. And I was like, all right, well then let's spar. And then we just like threw on four ounce gloves. And in my mind, I was like, I'm going to fly knee this kid. <laughs> and um, didn't happen. First jab I threw, he blast doubled me and held me down. And I was like, wow, uh, it's not good. Um, he doesn't even know how to strike and I'm getting my ass kicked. Um, so that was kind of like my rude awakening. Um, so, uh, that's definitely what, um, pushed me to seek out the pit wrestlers. And there were, uh, wrestlers that I met at bars. I'm not going to name who I don't want to get them in any trouble or anything, but we were just all real fucked up at the bars I don't know if you've ever been in the Pitts campus, like, you know, how, like how wild Oakland gets. And we were all just wilding out. And he was like, um, I've seen you around. Like I've seen you carrying boxing gloves around uh, campus. And I've seen you like hit the bag before in the, in the mat room. Like, I want to, I want to learn some striking. And I was like, like, I want you to teach me how to wrestle. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of like where everything that's so smart. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause it, again, it's seeking out the difficult aspects of it, right? You could, most people, they find something that they're good at and they stick to that and they mm -hmm. don't work on the things that they're not good at. Mm -hmm. It's just uncomfortable, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's always, it sucks to, to work on the things that you suck at. Yeah. Um, if I, I used to kind of have that mindset a little bit, uh, whenever, like people would be grappling in the pit mat room for a little bit. I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to grapple. I want to strike. I want to like just hit the bag. I want to spar. Um, now it's like, I love working on what I am not good at what I'm lacking in. And I, when I am grappling, especially as of lately, because I have a fight coming up when I am grappling, I just have people put me in really shitty positions and I tell them like, like if they have my back, I tell them, don't like, don't hold back on trying to get that choke. And if you need to rip my face off to get that choke, then rip my face off. Um, like do whatever you have to do. And the, and then even when like the choke is in, I will like momentarily go to sleep because I just hate tap because I force myself to fight out of it. Like I, I do not, um, like tapping i know i know there is this uh there's this one uh black belt from american top team out in florida i'm not sure which part of florida i forgot where in florida he was out of but it's his name is mauricio gomez um he came to pittsburgh um for a little bit to get some training in and i got a one-on-one one-on-one with him it was supposed to be an hour we ended up going like two two and a half hours it was really long it was great though and uh i get caught in guillotines a lot because um when i shoot 
like my head kind of, I would kind of leave my head exposed. I kind of shoot recklessly. Um, and so he was just like, uh, I'm going to put you in a guillotine and I'm going to put you in arm triangles. I'm going to take your back and you're just going to fight out of it. And uh, I remember we were working um, live arm triangle escapes and he had an arm triangle locked in. And this was by this point, it was like, I was exhausted. And um, he had an arm triangle locked in and he was like, all right, ready, go. And he starts squeezing. And by then I was just like, I couldn't move, but I didn't want to tap. And then I, like, I just wasn't moving. And I heard him being like, like, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I just hear his voice like fading out. And then I, uh, I just like wake up and he's like, are you good? And I was like, yeah, what happened? He was like, you stopped moving. Like, did you go to sleep? And I was like, no, no, of course not. I, I, I don't go to sleep. And then I was like, keep going. But yeah, I love, um, I love working out of these shittiest situations possible. Um, Cause it's like, how else are you supposed to, like what happens when it's real like, and you're not used to it. So yeah, I definitely, um, pe I definitely think people need to hammer on their weaknesses until it becomes a strength. So that's what I do with my wrestling and grappling. So you're three and zero right now. What's the biggest difference folks that have watched you fight these first three fights if they come out and they're watching this fourth fight where have you worked to develop yourself the most or well i was upset in my i was really upset after my last fight because i expected um to get the finish early uh props to my opponent though my opponent my last opponent was better than i expected him to be um he was a very slick striker um uh, and I was, what I would say, I was kind of hunting for the finish too much. Like I was just hunting for an overhand, right? Um, and I, I do think that the two minute rounds kind of messed me up a little bit. I'm used to sparring five minute rounds. So when I come out, I'm more, I'm used to kind of like coming out uh, uh, with a more controlled pace. Um, and I think what I should, should have done in those two minute rounds was kind of sprint a little more if I really did want to finish. I mean, it, it's, it's all like, like, do you want to hunt for the, like, do you want like a fire? Do you want to, do you want fireworks or do you want to keep it technical and like have a secure win? It's like, it's all like, what, what do you want? So, I mean, for this fight though, it is three minute rounds. So I think I am just going to do the same thing. Just come out, keep it technical, keep it controlled. What, as far as what people can expect, um, what I plan on doing is just imposing my will. So pushing the pace, um, walking, walking him down. Um, if he shoots, he takes me down. Um, I am super comfortable on the ground. I, like I said, I had Dempsey, that big asshole. I'm used to him just ripping my trying to take my head off uh, with uh with his mean front headlock like i'm just used to grappling with savages and then um quick shout out to my friend jake wenzel um he uh he actually this year he was uh he wrestled in the ncaa finals and got second um and the way he wrestles he's just mean he's just so mean and when we grapple like even though he's not like a jiu-jitsu guy it's a nightmare grappling with him. It really is just a nightmare grappling with this kid. Um, but I, like I've grinded with him. I had, I was uh, grinding with another former pit wrestler, Kellen Stout. Um, and now I've been working with his little brother cause Kellen moved to Harrisburg and his, he, his little brother is just like a carbon copy of him. Just younger, just huge jacked stud wrestler, super technical. He's, um, this was supposed to be his freshman year at Princeton, but because of COVID, like he just took a gap year because they weren't having a season. Mm -hmm. So he, he'll be going next season, but yeah, him, Jake once so I got all these guys that I've been working with. So I'm super comfortable on the ground. I know my opponent likes to wrestle. Um, so I expect him to shoot. Um, but yeah, I just, I expect to just impose my game plan, impose my will and pull out a dub. It's a, 
certainly don't want to make you look past this, right? You, mm -hmm. They focused on the task at hand, but I'm imagining you've got bigger aspirations than to continue fighting as an amateur. Yeah. What's that, what's that look like for you? I mean, how, at what point do you just, do you make that decision? I assume you confer with the team and, you know, what's that outlook look like? Cause you're young, you know, do you have a, a planned out or is it just kind of taking it day by day and seeing what, what kind of presents itself to you? Um, so do you mean like, when do I plan on going pro, I guess? Yeah. I mean, just as far as I've, I've seen, a, I've seen people who I, I used to fight with a kid. His name was Dennis Brown. Um, okay. He actually, now he corners uh, patchy mix. I don't know if you know who patchy. Oh, mix. no way. Yeah. So I used to fight. It's, it's interesting, man. I had an amateur fight 10 years ago. No and, way. Yeah. Um, I fought out of a gym called the knockout factory in Salamanca, New York. It was on an Indian reservation. And, <laughs> nice. uh, Dennis was one of my teammates and he was, I think ended up going like 10 and O as an amateur. And mm -hmm. then wow. he, he went pro, uh, after that. And I remember patchy used to come to the gym with Dennis all the time. And he was like a 14 year old kid and he'd come in and wrestle and just whoop people's ass as just this little 115 pound kid. And, um, that's so cool to see him fighting for world championships. Yeah that um but I, I think back to that because dennis had a really illustrious amateur career but he fought 10 fights and i i know people were pushing him to go pro well before that and i know other people you see it's like they have two or three amateur fights and it's more just as a formality before they go pro it's to get a, a little bit of experience without as much background in martial arts i would imagine that there's a part of this where every time you're in there you're getting to see things that you know, are so valuable in your development. How, how do you look at that? Like, do you have a plan as to, okay, I'm going to fight this many times, or is it really, I'm going to just, I have, I know where I want to get to from a skill level and it's going to take however many fights I need to until I'm comfortable. So I, so I have my own plan. Right. And then I obviously ask, there are a lot more people that are that I train with that are a lot more experienced than me um, that I go to for advice. Um, and I've had a lot of different people give me, like tell me different things. Um, and my initial plan was seven to no amateur GoPro. Um, but it's, it's also like, I was talking to, um, like I, after talking to a few other people, like there's people telling me like, I'm like, uh, they think I'm ready to go pro now. Um, and then there's people that think I should take like one or two more fights and then go pro. Um, other people who think I should take like, like win like an amateur belt and go pro, which I, to be honest, like an amateur belt, like it's, it's, uh, it would be nice. Like, it'd be nice to have a nice shiny trophy but it's not a UFC belt. It's not an LFA belt. It's not a Bellator belt. Um, so I don't really, like, I'm not too worried about chasing amateur belts. Um, and then it's also like how my body is. I've taken, like, I, I definitely train way too hard. I definitely overtrain. Will's got, Will, a lot, Will, on top of a lot of other people have gotten on me for this. Like you go way too hard, especially for an amateur, like slow it down. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, and I don't want to like burn my body out in amateurs before I even go pro. So it's like either I slow it down and continue fighting amateur and just like, but just train at a lighter pace or just go pro like after one or two fights. Um, and I think ultimately it probably is going to be a fight by fight situation. Um, Cause yeah, like this is definitely going to be, in my opinion, I don't know how my coaches um, think, uh, but I, in my opinion, I think this will definitely be my hardest amateur fight. Um, so like, it's like, let's see what happens first with this fight. Um, I know this guy has more experience like a good amount of more experience than me. 
Um, so I think just, yeah, after this fight, I'm going to see, I'm just going to see what's up. Um, I'm definitely going to take a break uh, from training after this fight because like I was already like banged up going into my third fight. And I remember Mike asking me after my fight, like, are you going to take a break after this? I was like, no, <laughs> like, why? Like, why would I? Um, I definitely should have because it, if, if anything, like it just, it only did my body worse. Um, so yeah, after this fight, I'm going to just chill for a little bit and then, yeah, kind of go from there. But I, like re ideally, yeah, I'd love to go pro as soon as possible. Um, but I do think also like, like I know how I do in training, but training's not fighting. Like it's not competition. It's not under the bright light. So it's different. Um, I do think that there is value in racking up amateur fights because of the competition experience, like the experience of performing under the bright lights. Um, but God damn, I just, I want to go pro like as soon as possible, but. So what date is this upcoming fight and where is it at? May 15th in Newark, Ohio at the Cherry Valley Hotel. Um, I think that's, I think it's two, two and a half hours away from Pittsburgh. Are they having fan base there? Yeah, I think limited, but I mean. Limited. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I know Ohio has a curfew. Um, and. Uh, Is it like a COVID curfew? Like yeah, like, like yeah, like it gets worse at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, apparently, apparently COVID is like bad. I'm so I actually got I, I am like as of today, I'm fully vaccinated. Uh, I um, it was it wasn't like a I don't know how I didn't I honestly I don't think I needed to be vaccinated. Um, like I think me and my family, we just have something in our blood. It could just be, be us being Chinese. Um, but <laughs> that immigrant immune system, but like when COVID was at its height, um, my mom is a doctor in New York and New York got hit like probably the worst, uh, at, during the height of the pandemic. And she, like her hospital was the one with like that, like all the horror stories that the media was kind of pumping out. Like that was her hospital. Um, and she was just surrounded by patients just dropping dead left and right. And she, she got tested for the antibodies. She never even had the antibodies. That's crazy. So, yeah. So I like, and I was exposed multiple times and I consistently tested negative, but I wanted the vaccine because, um, I figured it'd be easier to go back to China and see my family. Cause I do want to see them again. Um, one day as my, my grandmother actually, uh, in China passed away a few months ago, right, actually right before my last fight. And, uh, it was kind of upsetting that I didn't get to see her again um so yeah i i just got the vaccine because i just want to just show them the car and be like listen i i'm vaccinated just let me see my family basically it's crazy man we're getting to a place it's uh i think it's a real reality where that might be something that we have to do so yeah yeah see what happens yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing how this pans out for you i'm got a new fan here man 100 thank you thank it's, you uh, you're exciting to watch and i'm sure we'll run into each other more often um yeah the, you know hopefully this knee's okay and i can get what more happened active. to your knee man i was uh i was in mount and then i had um grapevines in and uh oh. my my training partner just really exploded his legs apart mm -hmm. and um i just felt like the bottom of my leg kind of went outward but my thigh was kind of still straight because i was yeah in a real tight mount yeah. And, uh, I felt it and Warren was actually standing like right near me watching us drill and kind of train. We were, it was in lives and, mm. uh, he heard it. It sounded like a towel kind of tear and he stopped it. Oh was my like, God. Hey, like, what was that? And it hurt. And then it didn't hurt. It was like, all of a sudden it was fine. And, uh, I sat down and then I could start to feel it just start pressure. And I, you know, now if, unless I'm moving, it gets really stiff it's on the inside. So my hope is if there's any tear, it's just the MCL, but Dude, starting, that doesn't sound good. I know, man, it's just like, Fuck. I came home. My wife's like, I go, Hey, don't panic. But, and she's like, what now? I mean, it's, I've, 
it's you know it's part you get it it's part of it it's, yeah yeah you know, and i told her i'm like if i didn't have this if i didn't have two to three nights a week where i could just put myself through hell and even though i'm being i'm injured right now i hurt my ribs a few months ago and my spleen it was just like what well, it feel like it's one thing after another but the pain of not being active and doing stuff like that to me is worse like yeah it hurts to not do stuff so I'm like, you don't want to, you might bitch and complain that I'm miserable when I'm sore or this or that, but you don't want to see me if I don't have the ability to get that out. So Absolutely. Yeah. Damn. I, I hope it's not that bad, but my life does not sound good. I know. Right? <laughs> I know. Oh, Fingers shit. crossed, man. I'll find out hopefully tomorrow. I've got an appointment, so yeah. uh, we'll see. But yeah. good luck in everything. Um, people can find you on social at, uh, at the Chinese disappointment, right? Yes. Yeah. And May 15th in Ohio, is that broadcast anywhere or is it? Uh... Yeah, there'll be a live stream link that will be posted. I think the week of the fight. Okay. So that's when I'll start um, posting yeah, it. Put it out there. I'll make sure I share it. All right. Appreciate it. Well, cool, man. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you. Talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good.